This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's dragons. Which is all about fear and uncharted territory. Here be dragons. Well, for me, it's all about Matthew Flinders circumnavigating Australia in 1806 and the temperance movement. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. We're proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 22 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like volcanoes. Brilliant one. <laughs> what to do the history of volcanoes? The safety pin or the chair? Ah, uh, the chair. Oh, yes. Yes, the history of the chair. We should do that one very soon. Mm-hmm. History of the chair. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of mountains is in fact all about freedom? Nonsense, it can't it, be. It's all about the history of freedom, so the tentacles of the state can't pass up the oh. passes of the mountains, so it's mm. the freedom from authority. And radio, and, surely. And, because and, it's a communication, isn't it? Yes. And armies and elephants. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> See, I'm, I'm going with that one already. We're, we should do mountains very soon. And the history of monsters is, in fact, all about political power. It is, and we're going to be doing something slightly monstery today. Excellent. The man sitting opposite me is the priest of the prior. It's Professor James Daybell. <laughs> priest of the prior. And the man sitting opposite me is... Time Lord Supreme. <laughs> it is the venerable Dr. Sam Willis. Oh, Time Lord, I like. Together, we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. We've got no idea where we're going to end up. We've got a rough idea of where we're going to start. Each week, one of us is going to take the lead. And this week, it's my turn. And as always, it's going to be a slightly stupid one because it's my turn. Are you ready? We are going to do dragons dragons and we're going to start off by looking at this now this has sat on my desk for i don't know the past 15 years describe this is a it is a picture in a wooden frame it is a a sea dragon it is a picture of it and it looks a like picture a picture of a sea dragon and it's sitting in the sea it's sort of on the waves hmm. so it has convincing dragony things doesn't it it's got claws it's got spiky teeth. It's got a tail. Scales. Yeah. He has a long protruding tongue. Yeah. It's curled up like a spaniel asleep. It's an early dragon. It is. Goodness me, 1491. Yeah. Gosh. What I love about it is um, it's got a title underneath it with Medieval Natural History. And it comes from a plate held in the British Museum. Where did you get this? I have no idea. Actually, I, I have no idea. It suddenly mysteriously appeared in a frame on my desk. Where did I get it from? Your study is, is crowded with these, with these <laughs> curiosities. It is. It is. And I like it because it's clearly not actual natural history because there are things that nothing looks like that in the sea. It's a lie. It's a trick. 
So I want to know if it came from a book of right. imaginary creatures. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's come from something to do with natural history. It's filed in the British Museum under, under me- natural medieval history. natural yeah. history. Yeah. But it doesn't exist. But I mean, belief in dragons, you know, goes back a long, long way, you know, pre the Bible. Yeah. You know, the serpent in the Bible is all about slaying Adam's children, slay the serpent. It's all about dragons. And you can think about how, you know, you look at certain reptile crocodiles, whether it's snakes, whether it's the sort of Gila monster or something like that. And they are dragon, dragon-y. dragon-y, dragon-y. I mean, those are land dragons. But, you know, I imagine the idea of a sea dragon has yeah. a long and distinguished history. But well, this is particularly interesting because it doesn't look particularly ferocious. No. It's a really, really fascinating picture. So someone's invented the idea of a sea dragon and then drawn a dragon which doesn't look very frightening. I think it's drawn by someone who keeps dogs. <laughs> it looks like a dog. It, look, it does look like it's a, it, a sort of spaniel. So he's got his tail curled up underneath him and he's curled into a ball like dogs do. His head is by his rear dragon paws. Mm. Hmm. Is dragon paws a word? I don't know what the... the dragon, dra- I'm sure dragons have paws. Yes. Paws and claws. Paws and claws. So I love that. And uh, what I do particularly like about this is there actually is, of course, a thing called a sea dragon. Yes. And I've got a lovely photograph of one. Here we are. Well, that's, um, ah, that's a sketch. That's beautiful. One of those beautiful hand-drawn... Has that got a date on it? That's 1880s. 1880s. And so that's one of the earliest drawings of one, but there are earlier descriptions of one. And this is how the history of dragons is actually all to do with the history of exploration. Ah, um, and me. even with Matthew Flinders. So that sea dragon, um, well, here we are, <laughs> people swimming Goodness around. Me. Look at that. Look at the colour of that. Otherwise known as a pipefish. I used to have a dried pipefish as a boy. Did you? The tiny little thing, sort of six inches hmm. long, about a centimetre. What did you do with it? Just looked at it. I had it for a while and then it snapped. The dragon was no more. That's a shame. No. Um, but anyway, here we have two scuba divers with a bright orange sea dragon. Yes. So it's related to the seahorse, yes. but it's not a seahorse. And the, the distinctive thing between the sea dragon and the seahorse is that the seahorse swims vertically like this, but the sea dragon swims horizontally like a normal right. fish. But it looks utterly bizarre. And when they were first discovered, they only really appear on the south coast of Australia, which is why sea dragons are all to do with exploration. So no one knew these things existed until very, very early on in the 19th century, when, Mm. uh, so Matthew Flinders, he circumnavigates Australia, by 1806, he's all done. So it's to do with this period, it's to do with circumnavigating Australia, it's to do with understanding and mapping the shores, particularly on the southern coast of Australia. And it's about the discoveries that they make Yes. In those areas, yeah. yeah, yeah. So here's, a, here's a, a wonderful early description, um, 1811. In contemplating the strange and eccentric arrangement of shapes in this singular animal, we cannot help supposing that it is possible the idea of a dragon or cockatrice might first have been derived from such a source, its novel and romantic outline being well calculated to impress the mind. Mm. So that's the one marvelling at nature. And what I like about that particular is this mention of the cockatrice, which is a type of dragon, which is <laughs> half chicken, half dragon. I've got a couple of pictures of... <laughs> oh my God, that is mad. It is deeply we've got, of, we've got a sort of French cockerel with wings that almost look like a golden eagle's wings, but they taper into a dragon's wings. So from feathers to scales. From feathers to scales. Mm-hmm. And we have what looked like 
accentuated talons, hideous, and talons, hideous claws, yeah. and a dragon tail. It's genuinely terrifying. I would animal. not want to be the other cock in a fight with that. No, you wouldn't at all. God, this is the an imaginary, an imaginary animal. <laughs> is that a cooked one? <laughs> this is I found this online. Some boy stitched together a rabbit and a chicken. That's um, me. That's disgusting. And. <laughs> It is absolutely disgusting. But they used to make and feed mythical animals, you know, certainly right. in the Tudor court. It was all yeah. all about trying to impress people with crazy, crazy things. And this is kind of the more famous examples of that, of being able to make ridiculous animals to impress people at feasts. Goodness me. Yeah. Goodness me. I want to follow your sort of inspiration about the maps and sort of take that in a different direction. And what we've got here is the sort of 16th century map what can you we've got a map and in the, the obvious thing here is that in the middle of it is a ship very early looking ship kind of 15th century looking ship being devoured by a massive sea serpent yeah so what we have is a 16th century map this map in particular comes from the national library of sweden it's a depiction of the coastline there and here be dragons. Yeah. This is a very, very common image in ancient medieval mm. Renaissance maps. I've it's the idea it. of uncharted territories. Yeah. It's the idea that if you sail in those areas, you need to be very, you know, careful, you need to beware. You know, and I think it's the fear of the unknown. Yes. And again, it's about exploration, but it's not about recording natural history sightings. It is about... The fear of, yes. of, of of navigating into new territories. And that's what's really interesting with the sea dragon. It's very serpenty, isn't it? Yes. It hasn't got yes. wings. And it's certainly a unique part of this dragon story, which I really like. I've got another one, which is very similar to that. Look at this monster. Oh, my gosh. Harry Potter, eat your heart. It out. is that Harry is, Potter. Yes. Eat your heart. Absolutely amazing. There's a man at a bar... A with skeleton. A skeleton at a bar, sorry. Yes. <laughs> man without flesh yes. at a bar. With loads of barrels behind him, with two kind of angels opening up like a theatre, some curtains to allow you to view the stage. But all around it is this hideous monster. The evils of drink. It's the evils of is drink. It, is it? Yes, oh. it's to do with temperance. Ah. Now, not only is the dragon to do with temperance, but it is directly linked with temperance. So this is kind of like early 19th century image. It's the devil. It's the devil. Tem- tempting. Yes, 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 yes. And then, well, there are two ways of looking at it. This is a medal. Hmm. So this is to do with ephemera produced by the temperance movement um, oh. towards the end of the 19th century. And one of the major parts of the temperance movement was the Army Temperance Association. Hmm. And this is also after the Indian War in the 1850s, you suddenly have an enormous amount of soldiers. It must have been a problem for years. Hmm. But they decided to do something about it. There's a lot of soldiers kicking their heels and they all take to the drink. And it absolutely sweeps through the army. So soldiers wear this medal saying that they've given up the beast of drink. But who's on the medal? It's not St George. It is. It is. It's St George Uh, killing the dragon. dragon. And the image of St George and the dragon has this massive second life in the 19th century where it's directly mixing the sense of Britishness, which is represented by St George. The patron saint of England. With killing the demon drink yeah, yeah. represented brilliant. by the dragon brilliant yeah. brilliant i take your your medal and i raise you okay. a world war one recruiting poster britain needs you 
and it is St George on a charger with a, a lance lancing a dragon so it's the way in which that kind of patriotic yeah. imagery can be redeployed in different ways isn't that extraordinary so it's about advertising i'm co- quite dumbstruck by that because i've seen the kind of the famous britain needs you poster yeah the one that everyone knows is it the king who's, yeah. who's, the, yeah. who's that face yeah. so the king looking pointing to that's what you, it's a very kind of human thing very personal request this is shockingly and Kitchener as well yes know. the Kitchener yeah, one but, yeah. but this is um shockingly associating the threat from Germany as a massive evil dragon yeah really really powerful sort of chivalric image and when I think about dragons I think automatically of Beowulf the dragon slayer and I think this connection between dragons and the military mm. weaponry is extraordinary think about well have a look have a look at this what, what, what's that what have we got there? Here? Yeah. Uh, I know what that is because I've seen it before because I'm a maritime historian. Mr. Maritime Historian, that, tell, tell me all about it. That's the figurehead from the Oseberg Viking ship. Yeah. It's stunningly beautiful. Actually, I've never seen a photograph of it in that much detail. It's actually jewelled, isn't it? It looks like it, doesn't it? Is that wood or is that metal? It's wood. It's wood, but it's bejeweled wood. Yeah, something looks a bit like... The eye looks like a... Yeah, it's extraordinary. So a hugely ornate yeah. representation of a dragon. But again, interestingly, having looked at those maps with a picture of a sea dragon, that's a sea dragon, yeah, isn't it? But it's also terrifying. You know, it's the idea of the ferocious warrior and putting the fear of God into your foe. Could you imagine that coming towards you out of the mist as, yeah. it, you know, as the boat sort of comes up? And also, it's the dragon, as I said, is a symbol that is connected with the military. We've got, for example... This symbol here, the dragon ring, that was the sign of the Order of the Dragon, which is a a chivalric order. Okay. uh, Founded sort of, you know, at the end of the Crusades. It's very common in heraldry, isn't it? Very, very common in heraldry. Mm. And pub names. Yes, the Georgian dragon. The red dragon. The red dragon, the, the Welsh flag. Yeah, I wonder why dragons are particularly associated with pub names. That's odd. We need to do the history of pub names. Yes, we pub, pub, signs. pub signs. Yeah. Note that down for okay. a later... I will do. This has really also got me thinking. It's a link with the military thing, because you're sort of piggybacking on a violent and terrifying animal to kind of boost your own threat. But yeah. it's also, I think, to do with releasing the beast from within. Yeah. And this goes back to some of the temperance, again, this advertising in the 19th century. And it's stunning, this stuff. So it immediately makes me think of Jekyll and Hyde, Hmm. actually. But this is called a study in faces. And on the left here, we have a almost like a child, a very innocent, young, adolescent boy with, with lovely hair, with fresh skin, with nice clothes. And then he's transformed with his bottle of whiskey into what happens to him, and he looks rough, the hair's gone, the, the skin's gone, his clothing's gone. And it's all about transformation. It's all about using advertising, essentially, to instill fear in people that somewhere deep down everywhere, there is a beast within. And so we have these images, particularly linked with monsters, and transformation yeah. of an innocent, happy, good-looking person into a monster, as well as this linking with the demon drink, the dragon yeah. drink, yeah. which I mentioned before. So it brings the dragon out in you. It does. It brings the dragon out in you. And of course, you can't talk about dragons without talking about fire. Ah, fire breathing. Well, goodness me, what is that? Fire breathing. Goodness me, that looks like a a medieval manuscript depicting two boats. Yep. One of which has a flamethrower. It does. In it. Yes, I mean, um, this is a very famous depiction of Greek fire. 
ah. which very famously carried on burning on water. So you still got the flames right. here. It's still so it's almost like napalm. It's almost like napalm. We yeah. don't we don't actually know how they made this stuff, but you know it links into fire ships. You know it's it's quite dragony. I think yeah. what what was going on here. Certainly the nozzle for the flamethrowers coming out the bows of the ship, just where there would have been a figurehead. You know, it's all to do with the use of fire in war. And we'll just finish, I think, by looking at this image. This is 1930s, and they've developed seriously powerful flamethrowers, which are firing flames... 50 feet up in 50 the air. 50 feet up in the air. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six soldiers all standing by with portable flamethrowers on, which then went on to have a massive role in the Second World War. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. If it was in medieval times, they would have had dragons on their chests. <laughs> <laughs> so where have we gone with dragons? We've gone from... We've gone from Matthew Flinders. We've gone from circumnavigating Australia in the early 19th century, discovering the sea dragon, drawing it, marvelling at its appearance. We've gone to... St George and the Dragon... Temperance movement, temperance movement. Uh, the Army Temperance Association, Tudor, the Order of the Dragon, the Order of the Dragon, and um, Tudor Chicken Dragons, and Tudor Chicken Chicken Dragons. <laughs> and we haven't done Chinese dragons, no, uh, you know, uh, the nationality of dragons. So you have sort of European dragons, European against dragons versus Asian, Asian dragons, dragons very different. And, yeah. Mm, so we've done sea and we've done land, but we haven't done Chinese. So yeah. I'll tell you what, everyone, get in touch with stories about Chinese dragons versus European dragons. Who would win a fight? I don't know. I think a Chinese dragon. I think we'd absolutely have a European dragon, yes. Yes. They have gunpowder and stuff, didn't they? (laughs) Brilliant. Get in touch. Send us those photos. We really look forward to seeing them. And thank you very much for listening. That's bye for now. Bye. Goodbye. If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook and Twitter at The History MC.